and welcome to this week's Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iproperty.com. Your hosts today are, my, are myself, Brian Fox, and Carol Tallon. Okay, and good afternoon. So just some a quick look at the headlines this week. The average monthly rents across the country rose to a new record level um, for the second quarter of the year, according to the latest quarterly DAFT report. The cost of rental is now, on average... Um, 1391 per month nationwide and in excess of 2000 per month in Dublin. Um, also, the TV licence fee actually may be linked to local property tax to ensure payment, according to the Irish Times this week. Um, earlier this week, the, or last week, sorry, the news broke of the world's first negative rate mortgage and uh, issued by a Danish bank. But we've been told that borrowers and investors in Ireland have been told not to expect Irish banks to follow this. And co-living continues to make property headlines this week as it now appears co-living residents may fall outside of statutory rental uh, protections. Thanks, Carol. OK, last week's controversial decision to end, end, end grants under the SEAI scheme has now been reversed. Dunleary Council is to build affordable homes for sale near Fox Rock. And according to RTE, a green light has been given for 450 apartments at the former Chivers site in Coolock. Also, TDs have spoken out against the awarding of a 14 million contract, 40 million euro contract to one of the construction companies caught up in the defective schools controversy. And finally, the SCSI is concerned the help to buy scheme, which is expected to be retained in budget 2020, is not addressing the high cost of construction in Ireland. And society has now released its pre-budget submission through the SCSI website. Okay, and actually that submission is definitely well worth a read for anybody who has an interest. Um, so I recommend head over to the SCSI website for that. So in studio with us today, we're we're looking at um, owners management companies and we're going to take the whole show, a whole 60 minutes to try get to grips with some of their proposed reforms and really what needs to happen. So in studio with us right now, we've David Rouse, advisor on owners management companies and multi-unit development sector within the housing agency and Fiona Duncan, newly appointed director of policy of Clued. You're both very welcome to studio with us today. So back to this report, um, David, you might just explain for our listeners here what exactly the report is and the purpose of it. Thanks very much, Carol, and thank you very much for having me on the programme this evening. In essence, the report, which is um, an independent piece of work undertaken by uh, Paul Mooney, who will, I think, appear later on the show, uh, focuses on owners management companies as the not-for-profit entities that are at the centre of the management of multi-unit developments or, in plain English, apartment developments or managed estates around the country. And really, the housing agency um, has been examining the functioning of this particular sector uh, within the broader context of national housing stock and in the context of the uh, legislation that is uh, there for the sector and the challenges that have faced the sector, uh, the agency uh, together with Cluid, and I know Fiona will speak to um, the rationale from Cluid's point of view getting involved in the report, the agency took the view that uh, it was time maybe for, if you like, a pit stop in the the, uh, sector and to look at the, the, the regulation that's there, what's working what's not working and also I suppose looking out the um, front window of the car for, for want of a better term to see what's coming down the road in future in terms of the growth in the uh, apartment sector. The agency is conscious of the number of apartments that are going to be constructed under the strategic housing um, development uh, process and equally uh, what's there in terms of existing stock. Um, equally the legislation uh, specifically the Multi-Units Development Act has been in place since 2011 
and we felt it was time to uh, perhaps take a look at how that had worked or hadn't worked. Mm-hmm. And really, um, it was over then to Paul to uh, undertake some research and come up with his recommendations and findings. Okay, and I know there was certainly some surprising figures contained within that report and we're going to flesh out some of those um, over the next 60 minutes. But maybe, Fiona, we might just refer to you there because of the apartments currently um, inhabited in Ireland, 20% are, um, 20% are social housing. Now, obviously, Clewet Housing as the largest approved housing body in Ireland, um, that's a huge task that you're undertaking. So how many units do you currently have under management? Yeah, so uh, currently we have just over 7,000 units. Um, so as you say, we're the largest housing approved housing body in Ireland. Um, in terms of apartments, we've over 2,000. So that represents about 37% of our stock. So I suppose this report um, was commissioned as uh, as Paul mentioned, I suppose, or as David mentioned, I suppose to, I suppose to an, at, look at the, the issues that are out there in, in relation to um, apartments in Ireland. Obviously, more and more people are living in apartments. We still have the lowest proportion of apartment dwellers um, in Europe. Mm-hmm. But I suppose for us, it's becoming more and more important that we um, analyze how uh, owners management uh, companies are actually operating in practice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it was, you know, um, I think a very timely report. Um, and I think it's really going to inform the debate with regard to um, apartment um, usage in Ireland and how we can best, um, best, uh, mm-hmm. I suppose, of course, operate, you know, yeah. and I, I think it might actually surprise people because when we talk about um, social housing, I think maybe there are listeners that won't be aware of exactly how um, social housing is delivered between the local authorities in conjunction with approved housing bodies sure. and that actually um, making the housing available is really only one step of the process that you're engaged in. And then the ongoing management, you know, that's something that's a substantial part. Exactly. So um, in terms of, you know, when we talk about the largest landlords in Ireland, we tend maybe not to consider the approved housing bodies. Yeah. And I, I presume in relation to additional challenges that might come up, you've all of the same challenges as any property manager managing 7,000 units. We do indeed. Um, as you say, you know, we are, you know, we're a large landlord as the sector, mm. you know, represents um, a number of large landlords. Um, I suppose uh, our own staff will be represented on OMCs um, and it would be a really important aspect of their work. Um, and I suppose the challenges that they face um, relate to I suppose, inefficiencies within OMCs, um, you know, kind of inconsistencies with regard to the, I suppose, the capacity um, among directors. So, you know, as mm. we mentioned in the report, many directors, well, all directors are, you know, they put themselves forward on a voluntary basis. Um, many directors won't have the kind of the, the training and skills that might be, you know, relevant to the actual the operations of the OMC. And um, so that can cause issues um, for ourselves um, in our work, in our daily work um, as um, representatives on OMCs. Um, other aspects relate to, um, I suppose, sinking fund provision, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure will we'll delve into in a bit more detail. Absolutely. Um, I think later that's on. one of the big issues. Um, that's one of the big issues that's that's surrounding apartment, the owners of apartment blocks yeah, at the moment. Exactly. Um, so I suppose it's um, it's a really key concern for us. Um, and I know, you know, in the National Development um, Plan, for example, or, you know, 
a huge aspect of what the state wants to do in terms of industry, employment, environmental concerns relates to increasing density mm-hmm. within uh, within our housing stock mm-hmm. um, and ensuring that, you know, as part of that. But if I could just ask, uh, yeah. from, from the point of view of a national breakdown, I'm sure the largest sector of apartments, if we could call it that, would be in Dublin as opposed to any other place around the country. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and, sure. and I mean, uh, how could that be worked on in terms of um, people having more of an interest in apartments as opposed to houses in other cities around the country. Well, if I could take up that point, mm-hmm. perhaps, Brian, I suppose taking the, the context of the various national planning um, strategies and uh, policies that are out there, I think the three key uh, policies that are focusing on increased residential densities in urban areas are um, uh, the uh, National Planning Framework, Ireland 2040, Rebuilding Ireland, and finally the Climate Action Plan that was uh, issued a a number of uh, weeks ago. And those all focus on uh, compact urban growth. And uh, in order to advance the objectives of of those particular policy documents, the focus really needs to be on uh, construction of high-density apartment uh, dwellings. And as the report points out, uh, owners management companies are effectively the glue that holds together um, the successful or otherwise operation of of uh, an apartment development. And an owners management company is, I suppose, a, a kind of a hybrid entity. Really, it's uh-huh. a, it's a cross between a sort of a not for profit and a, an asset management uh, entity. And all are volunteers. All are volunteers, mm-hmm. and this is the key point that the stewardship of effectively billions of euro worth of property assets is left in the hands of uh, volunteer directors. Now. You know, we're, we're, we have to consider, I suppose, technical terms here, and I'm anxious to, to de-jargonize, if that's not a jargonistic term in of itself, but to, to remove some of the jargon from yeah. from uh, from from uh, the approach to the to the sector. But um, owners management companies, I suppose, in company law, there's no such thing as a volunteer director. So people who step up to become involved as directors of OMCs, they are taking on duties, statutory mm. duties, as any as a director of any other company. Mm. But equally, we have to get the the balance right in terms of regulation of the sector that. Uh, um, we're not asking people to become directors of a public limited company here, Smurfish or CRH or whatever mm-hmm. else. So there is a certain minimum standard and minimum level of, I suppose, education. We'll probably de- dip into this later on that directors of management companies need. But that then speaks to uh, quality asset management, understanding contracts, understanding accounts, understanding tendering, insurance, all the various components that make for a successful apartment developments and take away this, I think, drag effect that we have on, yeah. on multi-unit developments. And, and you know, we have managed estates as well so estates that are not just apartments they mm-hmm. could be duplexes or houses or gated communities but where that owner's management company that hybrid entity is at if the centre of just it stick to, I just want to get your yeah. attitude on the whole idea uh, you know speaking of, of owner management are you would you uh, welcome an ombudsman as, as has been proposed uh, at the moment by some politicians well, I suppose speaking as a representative of the housing agency, we're there to consider all um, options that are out there and to advise on on policy proposals. And there's a range, I suppose, of different regulatory angles here. Um, regulation is, you know, being introduced in various other parts of the property sector. As far back as 2011, we've had the Property Services Regulatory Authority, which is regulating the management agents. We have now um, the uh, regulation of approved housing bodies uh, through ourselves, through the agency, and that's been hived out by legislation later on um, in the year. So I suppose there's a spectrum across which we can uh, pick a point where regulation should sit um, in in terms of owners' management companies. From a personal perspective, uh, uh, from my own experience, 
sense, I think um, regulation is is required because the position as it stands is not satisfactory. We have volunteer directors who are many of whom are overwhelmed and floundering mm-hmm. um, in in the context of but not the, necessarily uh, expect, necessary expertise for the position. Absolutely, without without a doubt. So in other jurisdictions, and we might touch on this later, uh, it's the norm that volunteer directors receive some level of training and perhaps accreditation. And equally, we see that the RTB is out there providing uh, training and accreditation to uh, landlords in the and sector. Would it be fair to say that that's one of the key recommendations within the, the report? It is. Director mm. training is certainly a key recommendation to improve the standard and increase is, is uh, that, best practice. Is that likely to be voluntary or mandatory? Well, I, I think uh, I couldn't express a view. I think that's a, probably a political uh, question, but certainly uh, there are things that can be done in, in the context of mirroring the RTB scheme around what is a voluntary training and accreditation scheme for landlords. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think there's a huge cultural shift has to happen as well. And it's so difficult um, when you're looking at a topic that requires cultural shift, then sometimes legislation just, you know, is a difficult, it's a difficult fix. And I know apartments, and I know obviously we're referring to multi-unit developments as well, but apartments in particular um, have grown, the, the use of apartments has grown by 85%, is it, over mm-hmm. the past kind of a decade and a mm-hmm. half. 2002, yeah. So yeah. We, have a, we have a cultural shift to make Irish, actually, people in Ireland are not necessarily familiar with living in apartments and I don't think they understand maybe some of the duties that fall on them, particularly as owners within apartment blocks. Is that one of the things that really... How, there's a communication issue around you know do we need to start do we need to start broadening the conversation of essentially good citizenship mm-hmm. you know good neighbourliness you know what we what we grew up understanding good neighbourliness has that changed in the cities I, th- I think it's if I could jump in there I think it's fair to say that when Irish people live in other countries they appear not to have a particular difficulty living in mm. um, high density uh, accommodation and we have to think about why that is and what's working in other countries that's not working here well if we take countries like Canada or Australia so English speaking mm-hmm. common law jurisdictions the same the same broad cultural infrastructure for want of a better term um, apartment living seems to work there mm-hmm. um, and that's probably because uh, owners management companies again coming back to this entity at the centre of it all are well run they are quite heavily regulated in those countries so their law is very prescriptive mm. um, in, in setting out what, what, what can and can't happen so that means that um, the, the uh, management the uh, day-to-day operations of, of uh, apartment estates and managed estates is, is satisfactory and people find them as good places in which to live so they're mm. culturally accepted mm. Okay yeah. and in terms of um, owners manager companies when when people are buying an apartment, whether it's as an investor or to be an owner occupier, and they're generally briefed as part of the title documents in relation to the owners management companies. But um, Fiona for Cluid, hmm. how do you how do you balance that in terms of the tenants? Um, how involved do the tenants get in the OMC? Yeah, so I suppose one of the recommendations in the report is that tenants would have kind of greater input into OMCs. Um, not necessarily that they would be represented on OMCs. I'm not sure if that's something that you know could really happen. But I suppose as an approved housing body, 
tenants' um, views are at the centre of our kind of approach to provision of housing, um, and that would be the case across um, across our um, our stock. So whether that be apartments or whether that be houses, we ensure that the the input um, of our tenants is, is taken on board at all times. Um, so I suppose we're probably in a unique position in the sense that we have that link um, with our tenants and, you know, tenant welfare um, is a kind of a key concern for us. Um, I suppose as a not-for-profit body, it's something that we're, we're very um, keen to, um, I suppose, um, convey and just to, to maintain as, as a core aspect of what we do. So I suppose we would... You know, we would have that kind of the back and forth between tenants. Yeah. Um, we have a contact centre um, that the tenants can. But will your tenant uh, tenant engagement activities need to change on foot of some of these reforms? Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, maybe we probably need to do a bit of work around, I suppose, awareness of OMCs among among our own um, tenants. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know, we've seen it's. If that is the case, um, I suppose, across the board. And, you know, there's no reason why that wouldn't also apply to our own tenants. So I think, yeah, there probably is a bit of work to do with regard yeah, to... I'm just interested in finding out too from you in terms of participation. Do you, is, there, is there a greater participation within residence associations or, or, or tenancy associations? What yeah, I suppose generally there will be. Um, we would consider ourselves quite... Um, quite adept at, I suppose, gathering the views of our tenants. Um, there wouldn't be residence associations in every estate. In every estate, um, sure, yeah. Yeah, of course. But, but, but what I'm trying to get to, I suppose, is is there a greater interest in a person that's bought a place as opposed to a pr- person that's rented a place? Um, I suppose it re- really, I suppose for us, we're providing social housing. Um, it's, you know, the tenancies are pretty much, you know, for life. So people, yeah. you know... They oh, would, I see, yes. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I'm a, yeah. it is a little bit different, I suppose, yeah. to the private rented sector sure. in the sense that, you know, people have a real ownership mm. over their property um, in the sense that, you know, they're going to raise their families there. They're going to, I suppose, connect with communities um, in the area. So I suppose there is maybe a bit more engagement. Um, yeah. Maybe put it yeah. to you, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I could jump in there mm. with, a, with a quick stat to just to flesh out and yeah. give, give some context is that... Um, uh, 20% of apartments are owner-occupied. Uh, occupied. Of yeah. the remaining 80%, 20% is social housing and 60% is private, uh-huh. uh, private rented. So it tends to be the case that uh, people who are living, uh, owner-occupiers, people who are living there who are owners, have a have a possibly a, a stronger um, uh-huh. on-the-ground interest in what's, what's going on, whereas perhaps the private landlord sector um, is not so engaged. So you often have the situation where perhaps someone bought an apartment as quote a starter home unquote um, and became then perhaps an accidental landlord and whatever else yeah. and the extent to which they get involved in the owner's management company and the management of the estate can be uh, can be can be quite uh, limited frankly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so perhaps there are maybe mechanisms to, 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 to improve that. Okay that's again the tenancies for life that mm. are offered by approved housing bodies you know actually probably give social tenants um, more of a vested interest maybe than private tenants exactly. who only have a tenancy of maybe two years and that's that's an issue in terms of tenure that, w- that we have in our yeah, Irish market. Yeah, and I mean people are renting for longer mm-hmm. and longer, you know, and we are going to see um, improvements hopefully in the rental sector. We have seen mm. a few improvements, you know, over the last number of years. Yeah. But um, I suppose for now there probably is, you know, a bit, as you say, a bit more of a vested interest among um, social housing tenants. Yeah, and that has to be a good thing in terms yeah. of placemaking. So look, that's definitely 
certainly something we're going to come back to uh, in the latter part of the show. But for now, before we go to break, that was uh, David Rouse, advisor on, home, on um, owners management companies and multi-unit development sector in the housing agency. And Fiona Duncan, newly appointed director of policy for Cluid. Uh, thank you for coming in to talk to us today. And I know, David, you're going to join us now in, in the latter part of the show. But stay tuned after the break. We'll be back with um, Paul Mooney, who's actually the author of this report, to discover more. Thanks very much. 3.9 Dublin South FM Oh, will you look at them go? I wish I had their energy. Ah, they're good for the soul though, aren't they? I can't imagine life without Lucky. <laughs> but he might outlive me yet. <laughs> oh, well take my advice and sign up for a Dog's Trust Canine Care card. It's completely free and it's given me such peace of mind since I did. What's that? Well, it's simple really. It means if you pass away before Lucky, Dog's Trust will take him in and give him the care and love he needs until they match him with the perfect forever home. That sounds terrific. How much did you say it costs? It doesn't cost a cent. Great. How do I sign up? Just text CARE to 50100 and they'll call you with more information. Or you can go to dogstrust.ie. Well, that's wonderful advice. I'll do that right away. Here, Lucky. Good boy. Whatever loan you're looking for, wedding loans, holiday loans, car or home improvement loans, make sure you talk to your local Capital Credit Union, where there are no hidden charges or early repayment penalties on your loan. Loans subject to approval, terms and conditions apply, Capital Credit Union Limited, regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're open every day of the year from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1800 80 45 91. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the senior line number? It's free phone 1800 80 45 91. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tyler and myself, Brian Fox. As mentioned before, the break in studio now is Paul Mooney, Director at Benchmark Property, and Des McCabe, Director at Apartment Owners Network. So, Paul and Des, you are both welcome into the studio. Um, we will be... We, we have a we've we've a mix up here. Have we? No, we we've David we've David joining us again from the housing agency and Paul Mooney, who's author of the report. And Paul, you might have been listening in there just when we discussed the purpose of the report. Um, there with um, it, this report was commissioned by Cluid Housing and um, the housing agency. And you're a professional working on the ground, so you might just tell us really why you started into this research and why it was important at this particular time. Well, I think the, the, the main reason for, for looking at the research was because it's become such an important part of our housing sector and and, and living environment makeup. Um, I think the the idea of of where it's coming from, the lack of information that's out there about the, the sort of co, co-living nature and fractional ownership nature mm. of, of apartment living is is really why I think we needed to sort of 
bring some more attention to it from from a government perspective, particularly in the context of, uh, as David mentioned earlier, um, the, the housing strategy 2040, where we're looking at sort of increasing the number of apartments in Dublin, for instance, by at least 50% in the next 20 years. Um, and that's quite a conservative figure, I understand. It, it, it's it's conservative. It, when, you, when you look at that, you're taking into account the idea that we'll have high density freehold housing as well as high density apartment living but you know in the context of of say something like uh, Poolbeg Peninsula in the context of Adamstown the context of of um, Cherrywood those communities will only evolve with owners management companies involved or with a large a large amount of PRS as well the profit rental sector uh, purpose built buildings but to to develop communities I think it's important that we have a number of owner occupiers in the in the areas that we have a cross section of, of tenure ownerships, and I think it's important that uh, owner owner occupancy is is encouraged in these locations, and for that we need owners management companies. Okay, how then is the emergence of um, the build to rent sector that we're seeing at the moment? How is that going to change the practical operation of owners management companies as we move forward? Well, on a, on a simple side of it, and when you look at the DAFT report today, and it's talking about twenty five thousand. Uh, private rental sector apartments planned in Dublin uh, in, in in the pipeline at this point in time. Those buildings won't require owners management companies because they're not into fractional ownership. They, mm-hmm. they it, it's one fund that owns the entire building, so there's no need for owners management companies, and they serve a, a massive need in the country for quality rental mm-hmm. accommodation. To to push all of our high density housing requirements into those areas means that we're preventing people from buying their own homes in those areas as well which it, it, it's 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 possibly not the the, the preference on these on these situations that mm-hmm. i think you want a, a good cross section of, of of ownership in these areas so you want professional landlords you want approved housing bodies but you also want owner occupiers and with that cross section you will end up with a, a meaningful uh, sort of coherent community being evolved in these areas and that I think that's going to be important when we look at Poolbeg and Cherrywood and Adamstown and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you quarter of a century of experience um and I would imagine much of that would be dealing with professional landlords or maybe maybe not so professional landlords, but for um for apartment and for home owners. I'm sorry if this is an unfair question to ask. Do you think they're equipped? Do you think they're even made aware of what their obligations are at the time of signing contracts? And David, please chime in here as well. I mean, have we have we made have we made buyers of apartments aware of the ancillary responsibilities that comes along with with ownership? Well, certainly to take take up that point, um, no, I think is the is the short answer. I suppose um, if 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 you think about um, a situation where someone has uh, a challenge or a, a problem with the common areas in their in their estate, and that's usually where these things manifest themselves, where there's a, a difficulty with maintenance or where there's a, a problem with bin collection or mm-hmm. with, uh, with with whatever uh, whatever difficulty that someone might come across parking or clamping or whatever else. It's only in those contexts that I think people really begin to understand the structures and the responsibilities and the um, uh, duties and obligations that come with uh, with owning a, a home in a managed uh, estate. Now, whether that's because they are in a hurry uh, when, when they want to purchase their property or they sort of leave it to their solicitor to deal with the 
with the with the detail on these things, um, I'm not quite sure, but it's uh, not satisfactory that um, someone who's living in a managed estate doesn't understand that they're uh, part of a, a collective entity that is an owner's management company. But is that because pre um, the Mud Act uh, 2011, things were on a very informal basis that these were neighbourhood associations, that it was a case that uh, people with a common interest came together. Well, well, owners management companies predate the mm. Multi-Unit Development Act. They've been, uh, they've been around for 30 or 40 years at this stage. I think the MUD Act did do, uh, mm. it did raise the profile, if you like, of the uh, of the owners management companies and the, uh, the various duties and responsibilities and put in some initial scaffolding um, around the sector, but uh, quite clearly because of the difficulties we've seen in many estates where um, service charges aren't been collected, sinking funds aren't been set aside um, and lots of other problems and we're not even touching on legacy issues, uh, that, that is apparent that the, the, the current framework and the current uh, regulatory environment isn't, isn't working. Right. And is that is that what prompted this report in the first place? Because obviously the housing agency has such a wide remit Mm -hmm. at what I'm going to say is a historically difficult time for housing in Mm -hmm. Ireland. Absolutely. So that this is a priority in terms of resources maybe indicates the scale of problems that people are having. So, you know, can you maybe shed some light as to some of the issues that the housing agency would be dealing with? Well, certainly, as as Fiona would have mentioned in the context of social housing and ourselves that are uh, with our work with uh, local authorities, uh, we see the um, the involvement of the state uh, through, for example, Part Five acquisitions, okay. as Fiona has mentioned, through through AHB. So uh, there is a component of the housing stock that for which the state has direct or indirect direct uh, responsibility um, in multi-unit developments, and equally there's a, a responsibility to provide, I suppose, a framework for the wider citizenship to the, the uh, people in private uh, ownership or rented accommodation to to ensure that standards are maintained and that there is, a, I suppose, a satisfactory level of information out there for people when they're buying into a, a managed estate. So those, I suppose, are the broader policy concerns and equally the, those that are in the other um, uh, policy documents that we mentioned earlier in the context of, say, climate change and uh, uh, decarbonisation and so on. Okay. Um, am I correct in saying that this only applies to developments that have in excess of five units? Is it? Yes. Okay. Um, well, the, the Multi-Unit Development Act only only applies to units in excess of five units. So for smaller developments of, say, four units, what is the redress there? Like, where where can, are you look back to the Residential Tenancies Board? No, it's, you're into uh, a, a, a sort of a, a particular review of what sort of title is, is, is found in those sort of developments in, in, in the UK, they've got a, a different uh, method of co-ownership when it comes to smaller developments and and typically old houses being carved up. A um, more cooperative approach. A, a more, yeah, the, the, basically a, 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 a joint tenancy aspect when it comes to the common areas of, of the development and uh, sort of covenants within different leasehold titles towards each other in, in ownership. We, we don't have that nature of, of, um, of, of tenure here. And it, it, to be perfectly honest, if you have a, a situation where there isn't a management company, you know, some small developments, if there is developments of two or three units or four units, they will still have a management company. They're just not governed under the Multi-Unit Developments Act. Um, but if they don't have a management company, there's got to be some form of, of 
title that holds the common areas. And that can very often be a freeholder who's granted long leaseholds for the different units in it. Uh, but typically you'll find that no banks will lend on that type of title and mm-hmm. um, that it'll it'll become a, a, a difficult title to, to, to manage and to, to, to administer. Okay, and we might turn our attention to one of the issues maybe that is most associated with problems around OMCs and that in sinking funds and maybe there's a legacy hangover from the boom years for some of our developments that might be 15 years old and there's a re- there's a, an increased awareness now for people buying properties you know when they're going in and they're looking at the property and the pricing up the property you know there's an increasing awareness on buyers and investors you know to take a look at the management company um, structure to take a look at the sinking funds so that they're comparing like with like when they're buying into a new development. But how how much of a problem is this in Ireland? I think funding owners management companies is a, is a significant problem with whether it's whether it's normal service charges or sinking funds. Um you've got an issue that the enforcement of uh, lease covenants to pay to the management company isn't something that is really greatly understood through the court structures. It's expensive to collect money. Um, and there's there tends to be a bit of potluck when it comes to the different the different judges that you might end up in front of. Um, they might uh, take on board circumstances that they really shouldn't when it comes to uh, enforcing, uh, put, giving enforcements on relation to service charges. We also have very little recourse uh, and enforcement availability. If somebody can't afford to pay their service charge, it is left sit. In other jurisdictions, there's a much stronger enforcement policy. And that goes under either landlord and tenant or specific uh, strata management uh, and condominium management uh, Do- legislation. Did your research uncover how great a problem non-payment of service charges? Do we do we know the scale of that problem in Ireland? Yeah, it's 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 pretty severe. Um, it, on average, uh, from from a it's a sample taken of of owners management companies, the average was that about fifty eight percent of their annual service charge income was tied up in debtors. Hmm. So, so sorry, fifty eight <laughs> don't pay. Fifty eight percent. So if, you're, if your pay. service charge income is 100,000 a year, it, the average debtor level would be 58,000. That's so, huge. Yes. Yeah. It, so it, prudent service charge budgeting allows for a large amount of not of un, of uncollection and on non-payment. And even if it was to be collected, you know, is there any special de- designation of this debt, or is it literally like collecting a debt? So it has to go through the same district court, circuit court it, matters. The, the one recognition that we've had in over the years about the nature of the debt is that in the Personal Insolvency uh, Act, it has a special category of debt in relation to service charges, and um, which is that you can an owner's management company can opt that a service charge debt isn't included in a personal insolvency arrangement. Um, it's the only type of debt outside of revenue that actually qualifies. Okay. And, and to touch on maybe the valuation point, if you're to take two apartments, one on either side of a road in two okay. different uh, apartment developments, but broadly broadly the same. And if apartment development one has an owner's management company that's very well funded in terms of its sinking fund and you know the directors have been good and they've collected the service charge and they've allocated a proper amount of money for a future long-term non-routine maintenance um, and uh, compare it then to, the, to apartment number two across the road in the second development where you know there's nothing in the pot in terms of a sinking 
housing fund. The bizarre situation is that the two apartments will be valued the same, mm-hmm. um, but that is not a reflection of the commercial reality and the demands that will be on the owner in five or six years time in apartment block two, where they're going to have to start dipping into their pocket in a significant way to, I suppose, if you like, back fund what has not been provided for to date. So that's something I think that the certainly from a consumer protection for point of view uh, needs needs to be put out there that people when they're going to buy an apartment in an existing development they need to do their due diligence and understand uh, how much has been um, put away for the future if anything yeah. but that, that is that is not, isn't that the problem in point of fact in going into uh, well actually in going into any development nowadays because uh, well, well certainly what, a, a, an existing one. If you're buying new, then an existing you're starting, one, excuse at, me, you're yeah, starting yeah, at year one yeah, and everyone's yeah, on the same yeah. same footing. But in a situation where you have uh, nothing built up But there's also time, seems to be, from, from what I know of people that have gone into developments as well, um, I won't call them fly-by-nights, but they're there one year and gone the next and nobody knows quite who is dealing with whom anymore. You know, is that is that is that a problem? Well, that? the structures are quite clear. Mm-hmm. You know, the owner's management company should be readily identifiable from um, a set of accounts or the title documents that someone has access to when they're going to, 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 to purchase. So they should really be getting their solicit, well, they're initially the estate agent and later on their solicitor to do, do their due diligence on, on acquisition and get three years accounts for the, uh, for the owner's management company of the estate see who the directors are. Is there a high turnover of directors or are the same people there all the time? What are the debtor levels like? And this isn't financial rocket science. This is basic stuff in the sense that you can see whether the debtor levels are going up or down mm-hmm. in the in the balance sheet and whether uh, whether there are other particular problems identified in the accounts. But there can be a lot of problems too with the dissatisfaction of, of, of management uh, management as well uh, in terms of how they, how they well, we have to draw we have to, we have to draw the distinction between the owner's management company and the management day agent, the owner's, well, ma- well, the owner's management, management agency, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. a separate if- issue and there are mechanisms there through the property services regulator to address deficiencies or wh- whatever other difficulties there might be with the, with the management agent. But with the owner's management company, there's no one there to say you're setting aside the right amount of money for the future, your service charge is adequate. The directors are, are effectively uh, on the hook for, for, for doing that. There is the CRO and the ODCE, but they're, if you like, filing, uh, filing vessels oh. uh, and, and the ODCE is a, is a corporate governance enforcement uh, entity, which is concerned with probably bigger, bigger fish to fry than owners management companies. So. And actually, this is where your recommendations come in as well, because I understand that you're, you've made a recommendation in terms of a designation company, an, an owners management company, as opposed to it just being a company limited by guarantee. Well, they're, they're Paul's recommendations, so I let him fly on that. <laughs> I, I, yes, I think the idea that ideally what you would have is a situation where owners management companies would report to a regulatory uh, authority set up specifically or with the remit of owners management companies mm-hmm. and that this their, their reporting would be more widespread than normal company reporting in the interest of creating a transparent environment for people when they are doing due, due diligence in a purchase or for existing owners that they can look and compare owners management companies on a like for on an apples for apples basis so they can look at what the sinking fund should be and what it's actually at but they can look at what insurance is in place and whether it's competitive from the point of view of premium level and excesses mm-hmm. and, and the, the nature of the cover and they can look at the idea of debtors and and cash levels and things like that and come and compare them and and see it in a non-jargonistic sort of way mm-hmm. that's easy to un- that's easy to understand yeah and that, there is definitely an awareness i mean i can say after a decade of working kind of particularly during the crash and in the early years of the recovery with buyers you know certainly th- there is now a growing awareness 
about the need to investigate the, the manager company. Now, usually that's as simple as asking the question of, you know, is there a manager company in place? Is it still operational? Is there a sinking fund? How much is it? What's the last works have been done? And my understanding is at this point, most owner, owners, manager companies will be providing um, up to date the, mo- the last set of accounts with any conveyance. So I, I think there's a, there's an awareness there Um but I, I'm just not convinced that people understand the significance. And I don't think that people understand that when buying into their into their apartment block, that they are that they are becoming part of an owner's management company and and all of the duties that that that, that implies. I, I, I think an awful lot of it's got down to the idea of people can look at the information that they're given as a pre-contract inquiry as part of the, the, the conveyancing process, but they don't have anything to compare it to. So they don't know whether it's good or bad. They just look at the detail that's put in front of them and the data that's put in front of them. And if nothing is terrifying them by what's put in front of them, then everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So you need a sort of comparative environment where you can actually see a good performing OMC versus a bad performing one. And that'll help feed into your decision making process when you're picking an apartment to buy. Absolutely. And I think the first step in turn for consumers is certainly awareness and to get educated on this. So, okay, thank you so much. That was Paul Mooney, uh, Director at Benchmark Property and author of the Owners Management Company Sustainable Apartment um, Living for Ireland. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. And thank you to David Rouse of the Housing Agency. Thank you. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres? Or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre? At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care. A professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. If you with your dog would like to get involved, or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Do you need a professional looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com I've always provided. That's what I do. Even when the job shut down, I somehow managed. But the pressure chips away at your confidence. I felt alone. I needed to talk things out. I learned Samaritans isn't just for when you hit rock bottom. I'm glad I called. It's always worth getting problems big and not so big off your chest. Call Samaritans. No pressure, no judgement. We're here for you. Anytime, talk to us. Free call 116123 or go to samaritans.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Manager here in Dublin South FM. I'm Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. So as I mentioned before the break, with us now in the studio is Paul Mooney, Director of Benchmark Property, and Des McCabe, Director of, at the Apartments Owners Network. So Paul and Des, you're both very welcome into the studio. Um, so we'd start with you, uh, Des, the Apartment Owners Network. Could you just expand on, 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 on what that's all about? 
So the Apartment Owners Network is a voluntary group. It's, I suppose, a self-help group that was set up over 10 years ago. It was an initiative of Dublin City Council um, who, because they got so many complaints in to do with the apartment sector at the, during the boom years that they decided to hold a public meeting. In terms of the quality of the apartments? Well, around the management companies. Oh, the management companies themselves. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so they held a public meeting and out of that, the Apartment Owners Network grew. Um, so, so we're very grateful for Dublin City Council for the initiatives they showed back then to get the network off the ground. So from then, uh, you know, volunteer directors like myself have contributed to it. And we have regular meetings every two months uh, to discuss various topics, hot topics that would affect management companies, fire safety being, I suppose, yeah, number yeah, one, well, one and this the area num- as well. Yeah, the, the number one at the moment. Yeah, so yeah. you have the, you know, the likes of the very publicised developments. Um, but from that, more and more people are getting fire safety reports done on their own block. And there's now a huge amount of blocks with fire safety issues. Uh, within Dublin. From, within Dublin and over the country that are coming to light. Are these being identified as they as the management the owner management company actually goes and researches it or actually gets a survey carried out on the property? Yeah, so the, the directors normally would look to get an independent survey done on the property. Yeah, and from that, then I suppose the, well, the, the recommendation. because I mean, I mean, in, I can, we can only speak for this area at the moment, but I mean, a lot of people here have. Uh, have problems now where they can't go back because the builders are gone. They're literally, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's causing a really bad reputation now for apartment uh, yeah, I mean, complexes. That is one of the issues. Obviously, since the crash, a lot of developers have gone out of business, so you have no re- redress really back. And even if you do, unless the developer you know is up and running and, and willing to help, you know, a lot of management companies are faced with: do they go through the courts to try and get? Uh, the developer to pay for the the cost of the work that needs to be done and often I think management companies will see maybe it's that's a long process with no no guarantee at the end of it and you still have the works uh, that still have to to be carried out out. so you could wait waste five years potentially but is is there is I presume there's often the scenario where the maybe the developer the development company is gone, so it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so even to... So has there been any success in looking beyond that, as in lifting the corporate veil? Has there been any any success in going after maybe the individuals behind the company? I'm not aware of any success Uh myself. So is there an image problem? That's really what I'm trying to get to, because... um, there seems to be still, I mean, you you could bear this one out, uh, still a resistance towards looking at apartments, not just in this country, but also in this town as well. Yeah, well, I mean, apartments, I suppose in Ireland, again, we've had, we, you touched on it before, we still have the cultural yeah. issue that yeah. apartments are, are second rate, I think mm. people see them as, and they're, they're starter homes and people still aspire to live in a house. Mm-hmm. But that's not sustainable in the long term. But, so it, we, but to be fair, Des, it's not just a, a perception or something like that. I've lived in apartments outside of Ireland and the apartments were fit for purpose. You know, mm-hmm. there was laundry facilities, there was yeah. storage rooms. But so they were apartments, mm-hmm. but we had everything we need. Um, I now live in a very small house that doesn't have the same 
facilities as my apartment in Spain did, despite the fact that it's a house. You know, it, it has a garden, but but that's probably the only perk in terms of storage. It's they're just not well designed. So I, I you know, yes, there there's a culture and there's a perception issue there, but also we weren't designing apartments for life. We weren't deser- designing apartments for people to live in. We weren't designing them for families. We weren't designing them for older people. You know, we just we seemed to only design one type of apartment for young professionals after they after they got to a certain level um, living in and before they moved into their three bed semi in the suburbs. We just didn't seem to design the variety. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, you're right, like storage mm. Uh, mm. facilities for children, uh, access Bicycle for effort, parking, park, well. yeah, yeah. All, all the the amenities for modern living now for families and that weren't designed into a lot of developments. They are coming in now, with, yeah. but for the majority of developments, they're not, they're, they're not designed for, for at that level. Yeah. So I remember about a decade ago, there was great proposals. Um, what were we going to do with all of these empty apartments? That was back when we couldn't sell apartments and we couldn't uh, occupy them. We couldn't do anything with them. And there were serious proposals went before Dublin City Council as to how we would literally turn two and three apartments into one and actually design them that they were suitable. And I can remember about a decade ago having a, a German couple contact us. I, actually, they were an Irish couple who'd been living in Germany for decades and wanted to retire back to Ireland. And their basic starting requirement was a penthouse apartment for, I think, about 3000 square feet. And I then had to discover there was like seven of those built in Dublin during that time. Only seven. And these were penthouses, but they were, you know, across two floors. And, you know, we just weren't building, we weren't designing apartments um, for, for the way people were living. And now we're trying to, people are trying to live within the buildings that are there at the moment and the confines that are there at the moment. And I think it's bringing up challenges, understandably. But... I'd look at it and think that some of the best designed apartments uh, in in Ireland or in Dublin were were built pre nineteen eighty five, and then. Well, that I I would actually say that that's probably true. And and then you've Mm. got the idea that it 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 comes down to the idea of of where the discerning purchaser is going to be. The problem that we had between two thousand and one and two thousand and eight was that there was no discerning purchasers. Um, everybody was just in a, in a, in a panic to buy. Um, you also had a situation where um, the, the developers wouldn't make any more money by designing well. Um, and they weren't being forced to design well. Mm-hmm. They, would, they, would, they would build within very wide parameters about square footage and things like that. But they, they didn't they weren't encouraged to, to, to think outside the box when it came to design. When you look at design standards overseas there's a great one in Victoria and Australia where they they have to build rooms in proportion to the ceiling and window size so if you've got a higher floor to ceiling you're allowed to build a deeper room if you've got a larger window you're allowed to build a deeper room but if you if you if you have small or like just regular floor to ceiling heights the room has to be shallow enough so that natural light spills mm, yeah. in through the window very simple that seems very, very straightforward very logical mm. but here you know, in Ireland, you find it very difficult to find an apartment that's got good floor to ceiling height. It tends to be exactly the same standard. And you watch this when you look at commercial developments versus residential developments when they're side by side. You will always notice that residential developments have extra floors while, be, while being the same height as the commercial development because floor to ceiling heights are lower. Now, 
you can put that down to mechanical and electrical installations and things like that. But the bottom line of it is that we don't really go for outstanding apartment design in this country like they do in other countries, like they do in Denmark and like they do in Finland and, and the but Scandinavian But is that countries. going to change? Now, again, this comes back to the people who were using apartments and at what stage of their life they were using apartments. Whereas when we move towards a greater population, a greater proportion of the population actually living in apartments for all of their life, is that going to change? Has it already started to change? I, I, think, I think you'll see when you've got, like at the moment, you've got very few apartment buildings being built for sale purposes. Mm -hmm. And probably the, one of the highest profile ones is Lansdowne Place at this point in time, which is exceeding... Would that not be Would that not be a, a very premium... Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And this, but this is the idea that with the premium... With, if they can prove that you'll obtain premium prices and a, and a demand for purchase uh -huh. by building something that is strong in design, it, 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 it may deliver... It may bleed through the rest of the market. Mm -hmm. um, but at the, at the moment... There's no apartments being built for re for sale purposes at all, and and this is because the build cost is too high, and the the only purchasers that are out there at this point in time is bulk purchasing through funds yeah. for rental purposes because because as you said earlier we've got the first negative or the first yeah. negative mortgage being granted. The idea is you can buy apartment buildings for a return of three or three and a half percent. And it makes sense, but yeah. you can't build them for sale. That'll that'll deliver the same purchase. Yeah, what about what about say going outside the M50 and, and building? Well, I, I, I think this, I, I think this with, is with proper facilities. But but, but, I, but I think this is the idea that what we've never embraced is the idea of what sort of comfort and amenity and living experience you get out of apartment development. Mm. And the, the concept of this is meant to be, you know, urbanised communities where all the facilities are at your doorstep. You've got good public transport infrastructure. You've got every health and educational amenity nearby. So you don't have to waste time commuting. That's yeah, the purpose yeah, of, yeah. of urban centres. When you start building apartments without those facilities, it but, doesn't but, work. But, then, yeah. <laughs> but my point being that you can have that infrastructure, you can build a rail line or build a, some sort of bus service out to it anyway. Once, but, but we, as we, part of the plans, but we already see this with with the plans for Poolbeg, and uh, I've, I've got to be a little bit careful. But yeah. in Poolbeg, they're not allowed to build beyond a thousand units until the Lewis line is extended. There, why would they be allowed to start without the Lewis line yeah. being extended? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is yeah. th this is what we've okay. got to look at. But, like yeah. we, we I, I saw it in ten years ago in uh, Northern Fringe with Clongriffin and the coast and everything like that. Yeah. They were allowed to build two thousand units there before the before the dart station opened, before yeah. the school opened. But that that's something that's just very different because I I know um during the crash we went out and studied the market in Spain and what we saw there was um absolutely same thing you know building stopped completely but what was really unusual and at the time it really struck me that um all of your footpath footpaths were in place public lighting was in place parks were in place and they were being maintained and and all the rest was desert land and. I, I was wondering why we had all these parks and footpaths and, and public uh, and public lighting or street lighting in, in the desert. And it was essentially everywhere that had been designated for building. All of that had mm. to be done before a sod was turned. But actually, you know, over the course of less than two years, really over the course of 18 months, we saw that area transform very, very quickly because it meant when building started, it, it started very quickly. 
and I think th- this will be the interesting thing to watch Cherrywood evolve because mm. Cherrywood has the Lewis line running through it at this point in time. It has the M50 alongside mm. it. It does have the, the infrastructures that you want. They are building the parks there before they start building two and a half thousand, three thousand residential units to go alongside it. So yeah. it, it it's a it's a new way of looking at it for for, for Ireland, but a logical way, a logical way, and a way where. The, the employment and the public transport infrastructure is delivered alongside the house. Absolutely. Des, this probably feels very far removed from the conversations <laughs> it, that it, you're having it, with it, your members. Would yeah, that be fair to well, say? Yeah, I mean, for our members, it, we're, we're dealing with, I suppose, the issues from the boom era yeah. primarily. Well, specifically, what are they? Because I know you mentioned there in terms of the fire safety uh, or, or the fire defects really yeah. um, that are now being rectified how how prevalent are you finding it say dealing with management companies that maybe the developer has gone altogether and simply there is no there is no entity there is that is that still a problem I remember it being a problem five six seven years ago is that still a problem today that's still it's it doesn't seem to be as prevalent as it used to be but you know Management companies that haven't had their common areas transferred across where the developer has gone, gone into liquidation, that's mm-hmm. still out there. Uh, and it, actually, have you have you seen, have you a practical, um, have you a case study? Have you actually seen that? Um, because we've sought advice uh, for so, so many different times about this. And in theory, we know that where the company, the development company is gone, um, uh, essentially the communal areas refer to the state and then there's a mechanism to have them gifted from the state back. Have you seen that in I practice? I haven't seen that in practice, but that's my yeah. understanding. That that's urban, the, urban legend, I'm thinking. That's the, that's the theory behind it, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's actually an easier process to, to reinstate the development company under the Trustees Act and then have the conveyance carried out in the High Court than it is to get the state to gift it because the state gifting it involves the Chief State Solicitor's Office and the Attorney General's Office and it's it's a nightmare. So, <laughs> but again, that's one of the mechanisms where, you know, for nearly a decade, that's the advice that was given and that was the advice everybody was pushing around and yet nobody seemed to have run a successful case at this and so that's why I think it's really interesting to get down to the practical stuff and say yes in theory you can do that but practically what can you do if you're in this position? Yeah I mean as Paul suggested I mean the big issue is is the cost for management companies do they have the funds to to pursue it? Um, that seems incredibly wrong that people are allowed to buy into situations like this um, maybe not fully understanding it. The state does have a role to step in here because essentially the state officially owns those those communal areas. It's, it it's, shouldn't be expensive. It's, yes, it's it's a default situation where when a when a company is struck off um, and and dissolved, its property becomes the the property of the of the state of the minister for finance. Um, so it's it's a default situation. But the, to get the conveyance executed, it's 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 not the most difficult thing to do as a as a high court application, and it's it's not as expensive as it used to be because there's a few people out there who know how to do it. Well. I'm not going to try cut you off. Paul, <laughs> that, that was Paul Moody uh, and Desmond Cave. Thank you for joining us today. That's it from uh, that's just from us in the studio today. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iproperty.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. 
Okay, um, so again, thank you to all of our guests in studio today. Um, owners, management companies, this is a huge issue that is going to affect more and more people. So I recommend that anybody who's interested log on to the housing agency website and take a look through the recommendations. Um, it's definitely worth looking at. Also, I would like to thank our producer, Katie Talon, who is also our sound engineer. Good job, Katie. And we're back same time next week from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Talon. Have a great week. 